Daylight savings time has begun here in most of the United States. Uh, the state of Arizona and Hawaii don't do daylight savings time. And I guess there are some other counties or different places that don't. Well, some people like it and some people do not. Uh, personally, I wish that we would just stay on daylight savings time and let that become normal time or standard time. Uh, giving us a little more light in the evening. But why do we have it anyways? I mean, where did this come from? Well, I'm glad you asked, okay? It says the idea of daylight savings time originated in New Zealand in the 1800s, although it wasn't implemented there until 1927. In America, daylight savings time first became official March 19th, 1918, when the Standard Time Act was signed into law. Uh, the original argument for daylight savings time was to save energy because people would spend less time in the dark and require less illumination. If there's more sunlight at the end of the day, there'll be less time while we are awake when it's dark. Okay. And a lot of people think that it was done for farming as well, giving more daylight at the end of the day uh, to get more done. And especially boys that were going to school uh, would be home and be able to work an extra hour uh, in the evening. So there's a saying that has been attributed to the Native Americans about daylight savings time. It says only a white man would believe that you could cut off a foot from the top of a blanket, sew it to the bottom, and have a longer blanket, uh, which is true. I mean, it's only going to be, it's going to be daylight for 12 hours, let's say, uh, about this time of year. And whether it's daylight from seven to seven or six to six or whatever, it's daylight for 12 hours. But like I said, I, I really think it would be best if we stayed on it and didn't turn the clocks back. But, you know, there's only just so many hours of daylight and God certainly knew what was the best thing to do. So let's go to him in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this day. Lord, we give you thanks for your word and how it's pertinent to today. That it's not outdated and hasn't expired. Uh, that Lord, everything that um, you, you gave the, the prophets and those of old hundreds and thousands of years ago, uh, Lord, it still pertains to us today. And so Lord, we give you thanks for that. Uh, even though times have changed, things have changed, Lord, you and your word have not. So, Father, help us to see what you want us to get from this message. And, Lord, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I've probably mentioned before, Diane and I are reading through the Chronological Bible. Um, it started January 1, and we're a little ahead. We try to, I guess, stay a little ahead, so in case something comes up, we don't get behind. But we've been reading through, you know, all the Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 
And God is giving Moses some very specific instructions throughout those books. Uh, Exodus uh, 36, verses 8 to 13, and this is my version of it. It says, um, you need to make 10 curtains exactly 42 feet long and 6 feet high. Uh, join, uh, five of them will be joined to make one long curtain. The other five joined to make another long curtain. Um, then you need to make 50 loops of blue yarn uh, along each curtain and 50 gold clasps and fasten the two curtains together. The tabernacle was made of one continuous piece. Okay, then going on to verse or chapter 37, verses 1 through 9. Again, my version of this. <coughs> Excuse me. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high, overlaid inside and out with gold, four gold rings attached to the four feet, two rings on each side. Ark's cover was pure gold, 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Two cherubim hammered, hammered from gold, one on each end facing each other with their wings spread. Okay, they were on each end, it was as if they were protecting, you know, looking over the ark, looking over its cover that, uh, and protecting it. And then going into chapter 38, uh, verses 9 and 10, it says, Then Bezalel made the courtyard, which was enclosed with curtains made of finely woven linen. On the south side, the curtains were 150 feet long. They were held up by 20 posts set securely in 20 bronze bases. He hung the curtains with silver hooks and rings. In chapter 39, Bezalel made the ephod of finely woven linen and embroidered it with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. He made gold thread by hammering thin sheets of gold and cutting it into fine strands. With great skill and care, he worked it into the fine linen with a blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Okay, so all of this was done just exactly the way it needed to be done. It wasn't, you know, make make some curtains and, you know, whatever color thread you have, you know, that's good. And, you know, just, you know, if you've got olive wood or, you know, acacia wood or whatever, you know, that's good. No, that's not the way God had it. God said, this is what I want. This is how big I want it. This is, you know, what I want it made out of. And it gets into much more detail about the clothes and the basins and the altar. Well, in Leviticus, we find very detailed instructions about the offerings, the grain, the burnt offerings, the peace offering, the sin offering, what animals are to be used, and the fact that they need to be without any flaws, how much grain, how much oil, how much wine, 
you know, for the sin offering, what you must sacrifice for different sins and the procedures for each offering. It, it goes into how to ordain the priests, very specific, very right down to their underwear, you know, what they were supposed to be wearing <clears throat> and exactly what the priest's jobs were. Uh, Leviticus gives us a list of clean and unclean animals, uh, again, being very specific. Uh, you know, this includes birds or, or fish or things from the water. Um, it says that a woman, if she gives birth to a son, she's unclean for seven days. But if she gives birth to a daughter, she's unclean for two weeks. I'm not sure really the difference in the length of the uncleanness uh, because of a girl instead of a boy. <clears throat> I mean, we know that boys are certainly more treasured, but you know, not her fault she had a daughter. So it gives a long session about skin diseases, what to do with someone that, you know, shows that they have a skin disease and they have to be, you know, out of the out of the village they can't be in with everybody else for for seven days and then they have to go see the priest again and if they're not clean they got to go back out again and you know and what to do with can contaminated clothing or uh, cookware what to do with contaminated uh, houses uh, it even goes into uh, forbidden sexual practices uh, about you know, having sex with your, your different relatives and, you know, homosexuality. And then it gives the punishments for disobedience. Okay. Then it goes into offerings. Okay. Worthy and unworthy offerings. Okay. The animals must be perfect. Must be your first fruits from your grain. You know, it must be the, the first wine, the first olive oil, the best of uh, the festivals, when to celebrate them, how long to celebrate them, you know, and what to do as you're celebrating uh, the Sabbath year. Uh, every seven years was a Sabbath year. The year of Jubilee was seven Sabbath years. So in other words, every 49 years and about redeeming property, redeeming people. Uh, Leviticus 26 gives us the blessings for obedience and the punishments or the curses for disobedience. Phew. Then we get the numbers. Well, numbers gives us a lot of numbers. Okay. Chapter one starts out with the heads of all the tribes being identified. And starting in verse 17, verse 19, it says that Moses and Aaron took these men, these heads of the tribes, took these men who had been named specifically, and they called the whole community together on the first day of the second month. The people registered their ancestry by clans and families, and the men 20 years old or older were listed by name one by one as the Lord commanded Moses. And so he counted them in the desert of Sinai. Okay, so now I'm going to read the 603,550 names 
that were listed. And I'm just kidding, okay? But I would not be able to pronounce probably more than about 2% of them to begin with. But, but it does list clan by clan the, the tens of thousands from each clan. Okay, in chapter 7, Numbers, uh, there's a listing of what each clan brought as an offering, how many animals of each kind, how much silver, how many pounds of silver, you know, and how much flour, how much grain, how much oil, and how many silver plates they brought or bowls and the weight of those. Uh, chapter 26 gives us a second census, uh, quite similar to the one in chapter 1. And then we get to Deuteronomy. Hmm, okay, Deuteronomy. We find many of the laws that are more thoroughly explained. Laws dealing with marriage, with murder, with sex, with offerings, with the way we treat each other. Deuteronomy 28 is another explanation of the blessings for obeying and the curses for not obeying. Okay? I'd like you to take the time to read that Deuteronomy 28 and just see the blessings when you obey, the curses when you do not. Okay, so what on earth is the purpose of all of this? Well, again, I'm glad you asked before you went to sleep. Because without a doubt, the main purpose of all of this is one thing, obedience. Okay, God laid it out to Moses. Okay, my translation of this is this is how I want it done, period. I want it so long, so high, so wide, no longer, no wider, no higher. This is the material I want to be used. No substitutes, period. I want this many. I want no more. I want no less. If I say 20 posts set in 20 basins, that's what I mean. Not 21, not 24, not 17, 20. These are the laws that I'm giving you. Don't add to them. Don't take away from them, period. I want you to know how many people there are how many men that there are that are able to fight. I want offerings done just like this, period. Anyone who goes against what I say will die, period. Sounds rather harsh, but he is God. So how serious is God about this obedience stuff? I can tell you, he is extremely serious. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 5 from the New Living Translation. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, 
They died there before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before the people. And Aaron was silent. Then Moses called for Mishael and Elzaphan, Aaron's cousins, the sons of Aaron's uncle, Uziel. He said to them, Come forward and carry away the bodies of your relatives from in front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. So they came forward, picked them up by the garments, and carried them out of the camp, just as Moses had commanded. Okay? They were careful to pick them up by the garments. Okay? Because one of the things that it's telling us in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy is you don't touch a dead body. Okay? So they picked them up by the garments and took them out. Well, then this is my version of verses 6 and 7. Moses told Aaron and his sons not to grieve the deaths. If they did, they would die. Yeah, God was, and God still is, pretty serious about obedience. God was very specific for one reason, that there would be no doubt what was expected. Everything was and still is in black and white. No gray areas. Even though we might think, well, you know, that, that, that was all Old Testament stuff and, you know, times really changed. And God needed to be evil like that because there's, or excuse me, God needed to be like that because there was so much evil back then. Well, hello, have you looked around today at the evil that there is in our world? Yeah, times have changed. Okay, there's no doubt about that. <clears throat> we have invented many, many new kinds of evil. And society has readily accepted that. And the more it gets accepted, it becomes just the norm. But even though times have changed, you know what? God has not. And God will not change. Not today, not tomorrow, not thousands of years from now. Okay? Hebrews 13.8 tells us this in every version that I looked at. Okay, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Pretty cut and dried. The only one that I found that really was any different in any way was the message. And it says, for Jesus doesn't change. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, he's always totally himself. I like that. He is. And those of you that like to say, well, you know, that was the Old Testament. You're correct. Okay. These scriptures that I shared are all from the Old Testament, except for what I just shared from Hebrews. So all that tells me is you have an awareness of the first five books of the Bible, and you better be paying attention. 
okay, because I don't see an expiration date on the Old Testament. No place does it say, when the Messiah is born, please destroy these prior books. Or does it say any place, just pick and choose what you want to keep. Okay, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 17, he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Or other places it says I came to accomplish or to fulfill them. So how does this relate to you and me? Okay, if we read through the laws and the writings of Moses and the prophets, many are the basis for our laws today, or the very least for our moral foundation. Now, if you have followed along with my messages for any length of time, you could maybe kind of think where this is heading. Okay, this is an area to me that is black and white with no gray to it. And that is on giving or tithing or returning to the Lord what is his. So let me start out with one thing that really needs to be understood. Everything, everything that you have, everything that I have is God's. The vehicles that we drive, the clothes that we wear, the homes that we live in, the things that we purchase to entertain us in whatever ways, the collections that you may have, your 401k, whatever it is that you look at as yours is really his. And it is all his from the start to the end. So once you grasp this, giving or tithing is easier to understand. Why? Because even though 100% is God's, he is only requiring you to return to him 10%. Now, wouldn't it be nice if you went down to the dealership and you bought yourself a new vehicle of some kind. Let's say it cost $30,000 and the salesman said, well, you, you know, you, you only need to pay 10% of that. Or your mortgage payment, you know, that comes every month, you know, let's say it's $1,000 and the mortgage company, the bank, whoever says, oh, you only need to send us $100. You know, you're only responsible for that. I don't see those scenarios playing out. You know, if they do, let me know. You know, we may or refinance our house to that place. What I do see is this, is a loving God that gives us the knowledge, the wisdom, the ability to have a way of making the money that we need to have the things that we need. And this loving God says, 
I want your needs met. I want you to have, or I want you to know that you have what you have because I love you. I want your needs met to the point that you can help meet the needs of others. I have blessed you because of the love that I have for you. I have blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. I have given you the opportunity to be Jesus to someone else. I haven't given to you because you deserve all you have. I only give to you out of love. 10% of our abundance. <laughs> what abundance? I, I don't have an abundance. What are you talking about? You know, look around. Most of us live where we do not need to look too far to see that we have an abundance compared to someone else. And we don't need to look too far to see someone that has maybe a whole lot more than what we have. You know, most intersections here in Oklahoma City, there's at least one homeless person. And we pass by places where we can see that they're living back there in the trees or underneath the bridge or between some dumpsters. That is, if you call that living. Now, when we were in Florida, there was even more homeless than there is here. But I guess if I was homeless, Florida would be a good place to be. Then actually... Hawaii has more per capita homeless than any place else. But there's no end to the people that need our help. I serve at our church at what's known as the Info Wall. It's mostly about life groups, people getting into life groups. You know, they have groups for men, for women, for couples. They have groups for young adults, they have groups for people with common interests, whatever it might be. But it's also about missions, plugging in people into where they can serve. But you know what? It costs money to serve. It costs you as an individual, it costs the church, or it costs the organization. And where does that money come from? comes from you and me. This is how it has to work. Okay, at least the first 10% of your gross income goes to the place where you worship. Okay, that's your tithe. Okay, maybe you're not able to go someplace to worship. Then hopefully you're worshiping online or as a last result a, a TV program and so that's where your tithe would go okay whatever you consider your storehouse as Malachi calls it but now listen carefully because no part okay zero percent of that tithe is to be used elsewhere. 
it's not like this, okay? Let's say I gross $1,000 a week, okay? That may be a stretch for most, all of us, but it's an even number. So let's say you gross $1,000 a week, and so your 10% is $100 a week. And you say, well, I'm gonna give 50 of that to the church, and then I'm gonna give 50 to the Salvation Army because they do a really good work, or excuse me, 25 to the Salvation Army because they do a good work. And then I'm gonna give another 25 to, you know, this other ministry, you know, that works with the homeless or with children or pregnant women or whatever. And so I'm gonna give them the other 25 and that's my, my $100. No, you give the $100 to your place of worship. And if you wanna to give to the Salvation Army or you wanna to give to the Angels of Mercy or the Fight for the Homeless or whatever it might be, that is above and beyond your tithe, okay? So out of that $1,000 a week, a hundred goes to the church. And then if you want to give 25 to the Salvation Army, that's good, go for it. But we all need to be doing this. And one thing I think a lot of people take for granted is Christian radio stations. Okay, most every Christian radio station is listener supported. Okay, so if you listen to Christian radio, you need to support it. Okay, if you listen to one of the national stations like Air One or K-Love, you know, you might think, well, you know, they're huge, you know, they have stations all over the country. Yeah, they do, but it costs money to be in all of those places all over the country. You need to be supporting it. If you watch a TV ministry, okay, you need to be supporting it. If you listen to Pastor Charlie's podcast, you know, on a regular basis and you know, you're learning from Pastor Charlie's teachings, you know, you need to be supporting him. Okay, I'm not saying this because I'm looking for money by any means, because there's no way you could give me any. But if you think you want to give to me and you can't give that much more to your church, all right? But this is what's expected of God's children, okay? That he put all this together to, to let us know. And he's given it to us in black and white, okay? Don't get away from this. Don't think, you know, well, I can do it my way. No, you really can't. You need to do it God's way if you want to do it the right way. So in closing, let me share with you the words from a, a refrain to um, a song that really spells it out for us in this part. It says, freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in my name and because you believe, others will know that I live. Father, I just lift up my, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, those that know you, those that love you, those that are um, working for you and serving you in so many different ways. And, and Lord, let them know that what you expect from them is obedience to your word in, in every way, you know, in our giving, and in the way we live our lives. So Father, just uh, put a burden on their hearts. Lord, those that 
maybe aren't giving in the ways that they should, uh, that, Lord, you would just draw them closer to those portions of Scripture that say, no, you need to do it this way. You need to do it my way. So, Father, help them to, to come to you in that way. And, Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening that doesn't know you and that, you know, they're, they're not too sure about anything about you, about your word and, and the laws and about giving and or any of this. But, Lord, they want to know. They want to know more. And the best way to know more is to begin a relationship with you. And so, Father, let them pray that you would come into their life. Let them pray like this. Dear Father, I thank you for Jesus who died for my sins that I can live eternity with you in heaven. Forgive me because I've sinned and I want to, to live closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.